Well, shalom. It's so great to be here uh, once again at Golden Hills, especially on a Global Outreach Sunday. This is not my first time being at a Global Outreach here, but I want to tell you it's probably the one that I'm most excited about (laughs) because I am thrilled to be able to share with you something that God has been doing in the ministry of Jews for Jesus and you guys have been supporting us and praying for us. We've been on a journey. For the last 18 years, we've been carrying out Operation Behold Your God which is a commitment to have saturation evangelism in every city with a Jewish population of 25,000 or more. 77 cities we've been walking our way through and we just hit the 77th this past May. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, thank you for your prayers, for your generosity that enabled us to do what is beyond a doubt the most challenging and one of the most exciting outreaches of my life. Uh, We had this opportunity to be in Jerusalem and we knew that if it was gonna be like a regular Jews for Jesus outreach, it might be the shortest ever. We had to innovate, we had to create, we had to come to terms with the challenges of that city and it has had a remarkable impact on our ministry that I'll share with you about. You know, this past May, we planned this, like I said, we started 18 years ago. And so who would have imagined that the month that we came to do this was the 70th anniversary of the modern state of Israel? Who would have imagined that the United States would have chosen this month to finally move its embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? And I wanna say that there was something of God that was all over this that just enhanced our ability to minister. And Jerusalem, now more than ever, I see as significant in God's plan and purpose, not just for the Jewish people, but for all of the world. Jerusalem is the place where God first told Abraham to offer up Isaac on the altar. Jerusalem is the place where God told Israel, when you get into the land, I will put my name in that place. Jerusalem is where David conquered that Jebusite stronghold and saw it as a place for the building of the holy temple which Solomon was ultimately able to do and the temple remnant is still there to this very day. Jerusalem is the place where our Lord Jesus ministered, where he healed the sick, where he raised the dead, where he wept, where he himself died, was buried and rose again and ascended to glory and Jerusalem is the place where he's coming back soon and very soon, amen? Wow. You know, 70 is a very significant number in Scripture. Just think about this. Moses appointed 70 elders to lead the children of Israel. Israel was in captivity due to disobedience for 70 years in Babylon. Daniel the prophet said 77s were the number that God was using to determine the coming of the Messiah and the future kingdom. Jesus appointed 70 to go out and share the gospel, and now here Jews for Jesus comes to Jerusalem in this 70th anniversary at this significant time in our human history. I don't know, how many of you have ever been to Jerusalem before? Yeah, it's an amazing place. It's a place of great controversy and conflict. 
I'll never forget the first time I went there. I was leading the Jews for Jesus singing group called the Liberated Wailing Wall. Uh, this was many years ago and we sing Jewish gospel music which is kind of a cross between Israeli folk and Fiddler on the Roof. And it's great stuff. <laughs> and we were in Jerusalem specifically to minister in congregations but also out on the streets in evangelism. And on one particular event, we were on Ben Yehuda Street which is a pedestrian mall a lot of shopping, a lot of tourists. But as we were setting up to sing, a crowd of Israelis gathered. Now, we were wearing T-shirts that said, Yehudim Laman Yeshua, Hebrew for Jews for Jesus. So these Israelis knew who we were, and yet they were drawn by the music. They were enjoying it. Some of them were clapping their hands. There was even a little group off to the side doing some Israeli folk dancing. I thought to myself, man, this is great. Here we are preaching the gospel right on the streets of Jerusalem. Then I noticed out of the corner of my eye five yeshiva buchers. Now that's the young ultra-Orthodox seminary students. Maybe you've seen the pictures with the black hats, you know, and the, the side curls. And they were walking towards us with a look of grim determination on their faces. And I knew we were in trouble. And sure enough, these guys got right up in front of us and started yelling and screaming. And then one of them reached out to grab the hand of the violinist to wrench the bow out of her hand. And I'm thinking, great, now we're going to be martyred on the streets of Jerusalem. And right at that point, up walked this giant of an Israeli guy. He was about six foot five, 260 pounds, completely bald with this big handlebar mustache. He kind of looked like Jesse Ventura. You know, he gets up in their faces and he says to them, you touch them and I'll touch you. <laughs> and these guys backed off and we were able to continue ministering and I thought to myself, praise God. You know, the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him to deliver them from harm. I just never knew he looked like Jesse Ventura. <laughs> but that illustrates this conflict that seems to just constantly swirl over Jerusalem. And I think it is for the very reason that God chose to place his name, that he therefore declared that that would be ground zero, the epicenter of the cosmic conflict of all the ages, for the enemy of God and his purposes is working as well there. And so we see this conflict. We see the fact that actually over 30 wars have been fought through history over that city of Jerusalem more than any other place on the planet. And it's an irony because Jerusalem, Ir Shalom in Hebrew means city of peace. And yet it's a divine irony because as seemingly insolvable the problems, God's declaration concerning the future of this city is powerful. And I want to share with you one section of scripture where that really animated Jews for Jesus as we prayed about this Behold Your God Jerusalem campaign. And it's on Isaiah chapter 62. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. Isaiah was living in a time where Jerusalem was a byword. She had experienced a lot of persecution and nations taking advantage of her weak estate. And so he's writing concerning a future and a vision that's so powerful. Listen to it. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. 
The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine in which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up. Build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. <laughs> what a powerful vision of a future that is still awaited by Jerusalem. Did you know that there were over 100 rockets that were fired into Israel this past week? Jerusalem is one of the most impoverished cities in all of Israel. And there is a, a, an expectation of what Isaiah has that certainly has to make some people doubt. And yet, as we look toward the future, and as we recognize the promises of God, we can see in this place a hopefulness that is not just for the city, but for all who name the Lord, all who believe and follow him. I'm sure there have been times in your life, as have in mine, where I felt, we felt abandoned, where we felt shame or betrayal, and this is an image of what Jerusalem has experienced and is experiencing. And here Isaiah says, for Zion's sake, I will not be silent until her righteousness go forth like a burning torch. That confidence, that faith is what God calls all of us to have towards his promises. And this sense of expectation, you know, Jerusalem continues to be a byword. It, the word Zion is an important word in scripture. Now, Zionism is very prevalently used in our society today, often in disparaging ways. If you go to the United Nations and hear them there in the General Assembly talking about Zionism, it's like an equivalency of racism. There's such, uh, you know, an antagonism towards Israel in the nations. Why do the nations rage, the psalmist asked. 
because God has a plan and he's working it out. And those who oppose his plan are the ones who are behind these kinds of ideas. Zion is a biblical word. It's used 150 times throughout scripture, all connected to God's plan for the future. Now, we don't exactly know what that Hebrew word means. Scholars are in disagreement. Some say it means dry because that area of, the, of Israel is very dry, the Judean hills right on the edge of the desert. It could also mean brook because there's a brook there called Kidron and the spring of Gihon from that brook goes right in through the Hezekiah's tunnel up to the pool of Siloam which you can still see today where Jesus performed so many wonderful things. But it could also mean castle or stronghold because that's exactly what was called the stronghold of David when he captured it from the Jebusites and named it the place that God intended to put his name. And so to this very day we see Jerusalem a byword and Zion uh, a term of disrespect. But God has other plans, doesn't he? God placed his name there and he says in this wonderful passage that he intends to marry her. Now think about that imagery. The beauty and enjoyment and the excitement of a wedding. God says, "That's you're my future bride. Jerusalem, I'm going to watch over you to celebrate you. And Isaiah gets so excited about that imagery and talking about Jerusalem. And then in verse six, he calls upon all who name the name of the Lord to share his enthusiasm and his faith and his hope and confidence saying, God is raising up people who will be watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem to give the Lord no rest until he fulfill his promise. Think about that. What an amazing thought that when we are invited to watch and to believe and to pray and to intercede that we don't rest and we don't give the Lord rest. In essence, I think this is an anticipation of that great parable that Jesus told about the unrighteous judge. You remember that? The woman who kept going and kept going and finally the judge says, okay, you're giving me no rest, I'm gonna give you justice. And Jesus said, how much more shall the judge of all the earth do what is right and bring justice and bring righteousness to his people? And Jerusalem is a picture of God's plan for that city, but for the whole world. And we see that unfolding in this passage in so many wonderful ways. But I wanna point out one other way that is really remarkable. It's kind of the now and not yet of scripture. When God says, I'm gonna proclaim this to all the nations. All the nations are gonna see your righteousness. And of course, it's not Jerusalem's righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Lord. When he says, your salvation is coming, the Hebrew word for salvation is what? It's Yeshua. It's Jesus' name mentioned over and over again. And here in verse uh, 11, the Lord proclaims to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, to this place, to Jerusalem, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense, his judgment before him. Now that phrase, say to the daughter of Zion, your salvation comes, is echoed also in Zechariah in a way that perhaps uh, you might have heard before in chapter nine, verse nine, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout 
O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, but not coming with judgment, not coming with the recompense, but rather it says he is lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. When was that prophecy fulfilled? Well, in the Gospels, we see that the scriptures say it was fulfilled on that very day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is the fulfillment of the Zechariah passage concerning the daughter of Zion. And Isaiah says, now we're waiting for the other part of this promise to the daughter of Zion when he comes in judgment to declare that his promises will ultimately be fulfilled. And it was that inspiration, that sense of motivation that kind of came together as we fulfilled this behold your God vision to go to Jerusalem and to preach the gospel in a way that maybe, well, think about it. When was the, take a look at this picture here. This is our team at the very end of this behold your God campaign. Can you imagine another time in history when there were so many Jewish believers in Jesus spending time on the streets of Jerusalem sharing the gospel with other Jews? I think you'd have to go back to the book of Acts, don't you think? And this was a really historic time for us in Jews for Jesus. We had to prepare to do things differently, things that we'd never done before. And so I want you to watch this little short video that kind of gives an encapsulation of some of the things that we did. I'm Dan Seren and I'm the Israel Director of Jews for Jesus. We've mapped out Israel. We've noticed that there are 12 different geographic regions and this is by far the most exciting outreach that we've employed here in Israel. We're here in Jerusalem with the University and Yeshiva team. Brought tons of cases of bottled water and hand them out. Been able to talk to a lot of people. What's happening here is an event that we've called Art Never Stops and it's a kind of jam, painting and sculpting. It's really fun to get a group of people together and see how people really bond and build connections. We have been in the muck and mire of this little river just cleaning out trash to just love on the people of Israel. And the salvation stories of what God has worked during this month-long campaign. Russian speakers still are the most open to the gospel. We're going to take you in and see a house we've been working on. It's a woman who's working as a prostitute and as part of our team to reach out to the homeless, drug addicted and prostitutes. We're just fixing up her home to share the love of Christ. We're reaching out to Orthodox women and we're reaching into a community that for many years and in many ways has been unreached with the gospel. What does Mashiach do then? If we all sin, we, we need help. Mashiach, you're praying for it. It's the same that Christians are praying for him for return. How could we really impact a larger percent of the population? So we began to pray together and toss around ideas and do some design thinking. A bunch of guys teams and girls teams are competing. Never would have thought it happened this fast. Selling some of our handmade items and talk about VR and things like that. Looking for opportunities to engage the community. We're hoping to see these kinds of stories of change all across the city. Look at some of these encouraging outcomes. There were 250 of us there for the month of May. We had the chance to one by one speak and share the gospel in depth with 5,000 
uh, is, uh, Israelis. 1,750 of them gave us their names and addresses for more follow-up, and that follow-up is ongoing. We're giving Bibles and sitting down to study the Word, and 58 Israelis embraced Jesus as their Messiah during that month. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Hallelujah. And we're just getting started. You know, the follow-up is ongoing. In verse 10 of Isaiah 62, he, he calls on his people, the, these watchmen on the wall, to remove the, the to, to open the gates and to remove the rocks that are blocking the way for people to come. And there are a lot of stumbling blocks that Jewish people have, especially religious Jews. And yet we were, for the very first time, reaching out into what's called the Mea Sharim, there's a, a very religious neighborhood, and there were articles about us being there. They said they couldn't believe that we, had, we were so brazen as to come into their own neighborhood. Nobody had ever done this before. And the contacts that we made, picking up hitchhikers, Orthodox religious people who were hitchhiking, and, and, and using that as an occasion to share the gospel. The university team, we, we, we were handing out water one day. I was with the team, and uh, you heard about that. It was a very hot day, and uh, you know, it was actually the Italian bicycle team was in town. There was, they had closed off some of the city. There was a race going on, and crowds of people, and we're handing out this water, and uh, this guy comes up to me, and he says, oh, thank you for the water, and by the way, I really like your hat. I was wearing a San Francisco Giants cap, and he said, I love them. He says, I wish I had a hat like that. I said, well, here, you can have mine. He said, really? You can give me your hat? I said, sure. I got more at home. So we got into a conversation, and Michael and I exchanged names and addresses. He's one of those 1,700. And during that month, we met four times together to open up the scriptures. And then Michael said, you know what? I'm traveling to the United States this summer. If I come and visit you in San Francisco, can we go see a Giants game together? So that's happened next month. So pray for Michael. Pray for all the follow-up that's going on. Amazing stuff. Now, I'm going to be talking to Brian later this afternoon about the service project aspect, because this is brand new for Jews for Jesus. A lot of Christians think of Israel as a tourist destination, and it is. It's a great place to go to see where these things happen. You'll read your Bible in color instead of black and white if you get a chance to go. But nobody has been viewing Israel as a destination for short-term missions. Americans, the church in America, sends 500,000 people on short-term missions trips every year, none to Jerusalem. And so we said, we're going to change that. We want the church to begin to see Israel as a place where ministry can happen. And we had 167 Christians from 11 different churches join us for the month, and we set them up with various Israeli NGOs, non-governmental organizations, where, for example, they were working on that uh, national park where you saw that woman raking in the muck. You know, there was a group that was in an organic farm, a school for the blind, for uh, nursing home ministry. In fact, this one group came, the only group that came from outside of the United States was the small German evangelical church. And it was mostly the worship team, a group of young people, but there was an elderly gentleman who said, the Lord told me I need to come and be here for this, and I don't know why. He only spoke German, no English, no Hebrew. We sent him to one of the nursing homes. Just so happens there was a Holocaust survivor in that nursing home who only spoke German. They became friends, and at the end, he prayed with her to receive Jesus as her Messiah. And he said, now I know why the Lord wanted me to come. I would love 
sometime in the future, maybe next year, for a short-term missions team from Golden Hills to come and to serve in Israel. Every one of those people who came had a chance to share the gospel with the Israelis, and they didn't have to work hard because the question automatically comes, why are you doing this? What a great opportunity. And you know, Afterwards, the Christians who came were so excited, they said, what are we doing next year? We're coming back. And the Israelis were saying, who are these people? We thought that Christians would be evangelizing us. And, they, and I said, well, you know, all Christians are supposed to be evangelists, so what's the problem? He said, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So but they all had these opportunities to share. And afterwards, the leaders of the NGO said, you know, a lot of people come from the church and tell us they love Israel. These people came and showed it by how they served. They're the best volunteers we've ever had. When are they coming back? And so we're just excited. And I hope that some of you might get excited to to see that this can be something that you can do because it'll change your life. And these are just some of the stories of the things that God has been and is doing. A fresh wind of creativity and evangelism is blowing throughout the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And when you came earlier today in the service, an usher must have given you a card that looks like this. If you take that card out right now, some of you who remember the last time I was here know that we're about to have an ancient Jews for Jesus ceremony happen. And it begins by taking this card out and folding it like this. It's called the ceremonial tearing of the card together at the count of three. And just to show you how much Jewish culture you've absorbed, I'm counting in Hebrew. And amazingly, you'll know when to rip. So here comes the count. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. Wonderful. Now, unless you're especially creative, you should only have two pieces. And the smaller section is the one for you to keep and take home with you. Take me home with you and use this as a reminder to pray because that's really the first part of being a wall watcher is to intercede, to give the Lord no rest until he fulfill his promise. And as you pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You're praying for the salvation that God promised to bring there. And so pray for that. And uh, we want to keep you informed as to how to pray. That's what the larger section of the card is for. Fill that out and then hand it out to, uh, to, to Janelle, who's be at the literature table out in the lobby after the service. Now, some of you already get the newsletter. Fill the card out anyway and check the box that says, I already receive your regular communications. We won't send you two newsletters, but I want to send each and every person who fills out this card a really cool map of Israel that you won't find in the back of your Bible. It's about this big, and it has on one side of it the map of Israel during the time of Jesus and all these different places marked out where Jesus performed miracles along with the scripture passages associated with it. You turn the map over and it's the map of Israel today and there are all these places throughout the country where Jews for Jesus had ministry and where salvation stories were accomplished. And you can read those stories right there on that map and use it as a tool to be that wall watcher and to pray for this place that God has made so many precious promises for. And you know, as you go back on that back table, there's a lot of materials. You can help yourself to the free stuff. Talk to Janelle before helping yourself to the not so free stuff. But this book is one of the books that's back there. It's actually a coloring book. The Glory of Messiah, it's called. And each page has a different messianic prophecy from the Hebrew scriptures with something that you can color in. Adult coloring books are all the rage, especially in Israel. And so when we were in Jerusalem in May, we had these things blown up 
big size on easels and we had easels stationed in various parts of the city with a little sign that said in Hebrew and English, color me. And so with all the colored pens, Israelis would come up and they'd start coloring it in. And of course, one of our staff would be right there to say, well, what do you think about this promise concerning Bethlehem? You know, did you know that Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem? Since there are no Jews there today, how do you think it's possible that Messiah could be born in Bethlehem? And so the gospel conversations just flowed and uh, so stop at that table to see what can be of use to you and you know just realize that we're getting a chance to participate in a, a holy thing something that God had envisioned from the beginning and that I believe is happening in a new and exciting way. It's changing how we work in Jews for Jesus. We have three pillars now that have been fully established through the creativity that we had to learn in order to go and do this thing in Jerusalem. The creativity has created this kind of a sense of, well, we've got our our, our go and tell aspect of Jews for Jesus. That's one pillar. It's what you know about our ministry. It's that proclamation of the gospel, that forthright evangelism on streets, college campuses, one-to-one where we're opening the scriptures. But then there's also the come and see pillar of our ministry. And we were able to create all kinds of events and opportunities for Israelis to come and to observe what a faith community is like of Jews who believe in Jesus. You saw the art jam that they were talking about. We commissioned 11 Israelis, not believers, to create art based on the story of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in Matthew 23. So we gave them the section of the scripture. We said, read it, think about it, and create art. And they did, and it was amazing art. And we had this art gallery where hundreds of Israelis were coming through to see Israeli art about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We were not only ministering to the people who came to the gallery, but those who produced the art. And so this is just one example of many of this kind of common see type of ministry and then the third is love and serve love and serve and this is how we taught the Christians to talk about their ministry why are you doing this well first of all Moses taught us to love our neighbor as ourself and so we're doing this because we're being obedient to the teachings of Moses but our rabbi also said that this is one of the greatest commandments oh well who's your rabbi (laughs) His name is Yeshua. And the love and the serve was so loud, though it spoke so loudly to these Israelis. And so these three pillars of ministry is breathing a fresh wind of evangelistic fervor and creativity throughout the ministry. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1:8, beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, we feel like after 45 years of Jews for Jesus, we're beginning beginning in Jerusalem again and we are so excited about it and we want you to share that excitement and pray with us and believe with us as Isaiah said that even though things may be looking dark today there is a bright future now that bright future cuts a swath through a dark path and Jerusalem the Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 12 is going to be surrounded by her enemies for a long time I don't think it's that much longer but In Zechariah 12 and verse 3, it says, In the last days, which I believe we're in, Jerusalem will be a boiling pot of the nations and a heavy stone that no one can lift. And isn't that what we're seeing today? This controversy and conflict that seems unending. 
And as a worldwide perception that somehow Jerusalem and Israel and the Jewish people are to blame for this, it is not a political controversy. It's not a controversy about land. At the very heart of this controversy and conflict is a spiritual dynamic, and we dare not lose sight of it. But at this last time, Jerusalem will be surrounded, a lethal dagger poised and pointed at her heart. And at that most desperate of hours, the people of Jerusalem cry out to God for a deliverer, and that is when he comes. The Bible says you hear it and then you see it. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout. What does the shout of the creator of the universe sound like? In my imagination, it begins like a rumble that gets louder and louder and louder until all warfare ceases, all activity on the planet comes to a screeching halt, all attention is grabbed towards the skies. We see the clouds roll back as a scroll. The brightness is of a thousand noonday suns fills our vision, and there's the one we've been waiting for. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and as he descends, and as his foot touches the Mount of Olives, that mountain is split from east to west. And then is fulfilled the promise of the prophet Zechariah who said, and I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn as one mourns for an only son and weep bitterly as in the weeping of a firstborn. And in that day, a great fountain will be open in Jerusalem for cleansing and for purification, and thus all Israel will be saved. Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And when he does come with recompense and judgment on all of the earth, it will be the beginning of a beautiful new establishment of his kingdom on the earth. And the scriptures that Isaiah recognized and spoke of this hope, also John the apostles saw the vision of in Revelation 21, verse 2. You remember the scripture, John says, Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The same language of marriage that Isaiah uses, now John, in the end of days, sees with this new Jerusalem establishing God's rule and reign forever and ever, and we we get to be a part of it, and we get to be a part of it now as we watch on the wall, as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If we forget Jerusalem, the psalmist says, let my right hand her cunning lose. We want to be those people who intercede and who believe, because just as sure as his promises are for Jerusalem, they're sure for us who name the name of the Lord. I hope that's an encouraging thought to you today, and I hope you believe with me that what God has begun just in this past month in May will continue until his name is established as a praise in the earth. From shore to shore, all the nations will see and rejoice. That's God's plan for the future, and we get to be a part of it. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise the Lord. You know, every, every day when the temple stood in Jerusalem, the Kohanim, that is the priests of Israel, would stand on the parapet of the temple looking down over the city of Jerusalem, Zion, and they would pronounce a blessing. And that blessing comes from Numbers chapter six. Would you please stand as I pronounce that blessing over you today? God said to the priests of Israel, bless my people with this blessing and they will be blessed. First in Hebrew and then in English. Would you bow your heads, please? 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Bashem Yeshua, Meshichenu Sar HaShalom, in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.